In last week's episode, I talked about the 14 things you should not have in a vacation rental. So I wanted to turn it around today and get a little bit more positive and talk about the 14 things you must have in your vacation rental. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, super delighted to be back with you on this wonderful summer's day. Well, it's a wonderful summer's day as I am recording this. So, you know, I hope your day is good as you're listening to it. So in the previous episode last week, I talked about the 14 things you should not have in a vacation rental. And A lot of those things came out of the visits I've been doing to properties over the last six months or so. It's been super, super busy with new owners coming on board. And I've heard this from so many other property managers that they are seeing a vast influx of new owners thinking about renting out their properties. Some of those have had their second homes for a long time and are feeling the bit of the pinch now economically. So feeling that they have to get this home rented to actually begin to pay for itself. And we're seeing that more and more. And then, of course, there are those people who invested in vacation rentals at the time that the prices were running so high and they have to rent them out. And we're now seeing that as property prices come down, particularly in Ontario, that more people are buying because they've been sitting around waiting for these prices to drop. So long and short of it is, there's a lot of new property owners out there looking for property management services. I'm also seeing a significant number of owners who have been renting on their own through Airbnb or VRBO and are becoming increasingly dissatisfied with the way that's going for them. They would like to do direct bookings, but it's tough to get out there to do direct bookings when you haven't done it before, because you've got to start off your own website and get all your communication flows in place. And it can be quite a hard slog. So we're seeing more owners coming to us as property managers and saying, look, at least for the first year, while I get myself organized, I'd like a property manager to do this for me. And that was, that's always been great for, for us. Uh, as a property management company, when we had new owners who just bought their properties, they thought they would like to do it themselves. But I was able to talk them around to using a property management company for the first year and just say, look, you know, let's get you through. We'll hold your hand. We'll get you through this first year. You can figure out all the things that you need to do to do it yourself. And at the end of that first year, you can be off and running on your own. And it tended to work out that probably 80% of those after the first year decided that they had great income coming in. They did not need to 
do it themselves. They didn't want to do it themselves after that. They, they'd actually seen issues arising and us dealing with it as a property management company. They didn't have to get involved with that. Some of them went on to do some of their own marketing, which was absolutely fine. Uh, brought in more occupancy. You know, they're doing a little bit more marketing amongst their friends and their work colleagues and their relations. And that tended to work. But I always found that that approach to new owners who wanted to do it themselves was a great one because we, we had that first year, they didn't feel obligated to stay with us, but it gave us that time to build a really strong relationship with them and subsequently keep them on board. So that's slight aside to what I'm going to talk about today, which is the 14 things you must have in your vacation rental. But, you know, talking about all these properties I've been to see over the last six months, I have seen both sides of it. I've, I've been into the properties and I've left, I've given them a list. We have a minimum standards inventory, which we give to all our owners. But after this visit, we send them a list, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. Uh, you've got to get this piece of furniture. For those of you who have been in the business a long time, you know exactly what you need to have in your vacation rental. But I wanted to share this list just in case you're missing something. And I know when I was managing my own rentals way, way back when, when I had sort of five or six of my own properties, that it was always a work in progress. And there was always a time when I thought, oh my gosh, I've picked something up from somebody's blog post or somebody's email. I will put that into my place. And I ended up, I think, by the time I'd finished with my own properties, that each one of them was just perfectly set up for rental. And we got absolutely no negative feedback about any one of them because there was nothing to make negative feedback about. So similar to last week and the 14 things you should not have in your vacation rental, I have not got these in any particular order. It's just that as I've been out and about seeing properties in the last month or two, I've been making a list of the most common ones that I have to go back to owners and say, oh, you've got to get this before we can offer it for rental. So no particular order, but I'm going to kick off with the one that I see, I always see first, and I seem to see it really often and I don't understand why. And the first thing that you must have in your vacation rental is at least two pillows per person. I don't know whether it's, it's just me. I've been to vacation rentals where I've gone into the bedroom. There's a queen bed or a king bed and there's two pillows, one for each of you. And it's not sufficient for me. I sleep with two pillows. I always have done. So I end up with an entire week of a rental with a pillow folded over to give that impression of two. Or I've gone out and bought another one, which you don't want your guests to be doing. And in fact, guests won't. They will, they will complain if they do not have two pillows per person. And I'm amazed at the amount of times I have to suggest this to property owners and they're surprised. I mean, maybe they're surprised because they only use one pillow themselves, but most often the response I get was, well, it's quite expensive to buy pillows. And I, I, I've got, I'm shrugging now because my shrug is well, you know, it's an investment you have to make in goodwill and good reviews. And it's a one-off investment for 
a year. I only ever kept my pillows for a year. I, I bought the two packs from Costco at $17, $18 for a two pack. I mean, they were not the most, I mean, they, they were great. I mean, I use those at home and, and I change them out every four or five months for a vacation rental. Perhaps if you haven't got occupancy every day of the year, you'd probably only have to uh, change them out once a year. And they're great pillows. They're really nice. I think they're beauty rest, but you know, it's whatever, whatever you want to put there. I know some owners have spare pillows. They have um, spare feather and down or foam, just different types of pillows for guests to choose from, which I think is really nice, but you know, perhaps not that necessary. If somebody really requires a particular type of pillow, they will probably bring their own anyway, but just do it. Just put two pillows per person on the bed. Not only does it feel good when you sleep on it, it actually makes the bed look so much better when you're taking a photograph of it. There is nothing, I hate, well, I was going to say nothing worse. I hate to see pictures of beds with, you know, flat comforters on top and what, two pillows on a double bed. It just looks flat and uninteresting and boring and it doesn't look comfortable to me and I don't feel that I want to climb into that bed. Subsequently, I probably will not book that property. I'm one of those that books a property based on the look of beds. And I think there's a lot of people out there like me. So number two is sort of follows on from that, but it's, it, it made, it got me thinking this morning when I woke up and it was, it was cool. It was seven degrees centigrade, which I think in US money is, do you know, I don't know, probably 40 something. 45, 46 degrees, and it's the end of June. So we have a very, very light quilt on our bed. But I woke up in the night and it was really cool. And I I just went to my closet and I got a blanket out. Now, if I'm in a vacation rental and I wake up in the middle of the night, in the middle of summer, and there's an unseasonably cool night, I want an additional blanket. I don't want to have to be laying clothes over the top of the bed to keep me warm. And, and I did talk to an owner about this recently and she had some very nice beds and bedding. And I said, so what additional blankets have you got? And she said, oh, well, I, I don't have any because we're only renting in July and August. So, you know, people are going to be warm enough. And I said, never assume anything. Never assume that that, that, that is sufficient bedding for your guests. You need to have the options for them if they like to sleep warm. I like to sleep in a cool, cool room with a heavy comforter on or a heavy quilt. And so you've got to make sure that you are catering for everybody, for, for different tastes. And if all that means is just having some additional blankets, I think it's not difficult and it's not expensive. Still in the bedroom for number three is adequate bedside lighting walked into a cottage recently and it was all ready, set, staged for photography. Yet there were no bedside lights on the bedside tables. In fact, in some of the rooms, some of the bedrooms, there were no bedside tables either. You have to have a light on either side of a double queen king bed and a light beside every twin. Don't ask people to get out of, once they've got into bed and they're settled down and they're having a good read, don't ask them to get out of bed to go to the wall to turn a light switch off. Because after a few nights, they're going to reflect on that and feel that it's something to complain about or 
knock you down a star even on your reviews. And if all you have to do is to put a bedside table and a bedside lamp on, then once again, just do it. Number four, yeah, sort of still, you know, bedroom charging stations. You must have charging stations. Everybody has a phone, at least, well, everybody has at least one device and that's everybody in your group. So just having a single plug in the, in the kitchen, perhaps with, with two USB ports is not sufficient. You are going to endear yourself to your guests if you put a small charging station beside every single bed. People are going to be happy with you because they're going to go to bed and if their phone is running out of charge, they don't have to leave it somewhere else to charge overnight. They can have it right beside the bed. I bet you do it yourself. I bet you have a charging station by your bed at home or at least somewhere near. And you probably have multiple charging stations. So all your family have space to charge your devices. So please, please make sure that you have sufficient charging stations. Now, it doesn't have to be beside the bed. I like it if I see those charging stations beside each bed. Makes me feel good. I know that the guests are going to be super happy with it. So I think I'm looking through my list, actually, and I think I'm coming out of the bedroom now. Number five, maybe, Justin Ford would say this should be number one, is minimum safety equipment. You must have your minimum safety equipment in every single vacation rental. And by minimum safety equipment, I mean a fire extinguisher that is located in the correct place in a kitchen. If you don't know what that correct place is, I will put a link in the show notes to the Breezeway safety site, and you can go and have a look at that. And Justin will show you where to put the fire extinguisher. Don't hide it in a cupboard. I've seen fire extinguishers still in their boxes in a cupboard under the sink or in a closet because the owner didn't want to put it on the wall because it didn't look good. Well, when your house has burnt down because there was no access to a fire extinguisher or somebody didn't know where to find it and it was still in a box in a, in a closet somewhere, when your house has burnt down, it really doesn't matter, does it, how the place looked. If you are renting out your property in exchange for money, then you must have your safety equipment in the appropriate place. And it's, it's somewhere that is easy for somebody to get hold of in the area that is most likely to be the source of a fire. So fire extinguisher located correctly. And of course, your smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. Mostly these days, they are, they are dual purpose alarms in the newer properties something that you need to do anyway at the start of every season or when you go and inspect a property, if you're a property manager, is to check the dates on smoke alarms, make sure that they're not the old yellowed ones. And there is plenty of information on the web about, uh, about smoke and CO alarms that you should check out. So just make sure you do have them also in the appropriate places in your property. Number six. Ooh. If you're listening, Andy Medic, may, maybe Andy doesn't listen to the podcast anymore since he sold uh, Sea Change Vacation Rentals uh, just recently. Uh, but if you are listening, you know that I would have a kettle 
as as a primary amenity to have in every vacation rental. I'm a tea drinker. I, if, if you've been listening to my podcast going back years, you know, I'm a tea drinker. Every place I go to, the first thing I look for when I get there, and in fact, I ask now before I go is, do you have a kettle? Because I drink tea. And I am not going to boil my water in a mug in the microwave. That is, it, that won't happen. And there is a reason for that. It's, I, I mean, is it physics? Is it chemistry? I don't know. It's the way water boils in a microwave compared to how water boils in a kettle. And it is different and it actually does make your tea taste different. And yes, I am a tea purist and it's got to be just right. So once again, here we go for the cost of a kettle. <laughs> and I bought a kettle for my RV, new kettle for the RV when we were down in Alabama. It was $18 and it's a beautiful kettle from Walmart and I love it very much. It has a nice sort of blue light inside of it. Makes me feel happy when I have it on in the morning. And so it's simple. Get a kettle. Every vacation rental should have a kettle. And I had some pushback from a lady a while back in the US. And it was, I think, somewhere in Oregon. And she said, but nobody drinks tea in my area. And I thought, well, if I was coming to your area, I'm not from your area. I'm from somewhere else. I'm you know, an international traveler. So why would you not, for the sake of $18, just provide me with something that's going to help make my vacation really enjoyable? And that's having my cup of tea in the morning. So while I'm on the topic of kettle, I see more and more properties that are just including a Keurig. And I would encourage you to ensure that you have a standard coffee maker, the one that you can make a whole pot of coffee in. Do you remember those? We actually bought one for home recently and it is a Keurig, but it is a Keurig that is a dual purpose. So it has the standard pot and it also uses the K-cups as well. And this is something I've heard from coffee drinkers who say they've seen this trend in vacation rental properties recently where there is just this Keurig available and nothing else. And they're so used to at home you know, making that big pot of coffee in the morning so that everybody gets up and they have their they have their mug of coffee and they can all go and sit outside together. But if you've got to all stand around and wait for each single cup to be poured, it's going to get annoying. And it's something that they will mention. And you know, I'm gonna say this once again, for the sake of the cost, the relatively minor cost of a coffee maker, standard coffee maker, make sure you have one. Number seven, halfway through here, sufficient indoor and outdoor seating. And I see more and more properties where the owner is saying, oh, this is, this sleeps 12 or it sleeps, sleeps 10, sleeps 12 people. And then I go into the dining area and there's a, a normal sized dining table with six chairs, maybe two stools at an island or three. And my first question is, okay, so you've got seating here for eight or nine people, but you're saying the property sleeps 12. Where are these other people going to sit and eat if, if they all want to sit and eat together and have an enjoyable family meal? And that generates a, a good discussion really on you know, how they can fit in additional dining space or reduce their maximum accommodation. I've always been one to, to have, you know, let, let's have less people in the property and not try and squeeze 
as many people as you can in. And I, I never quite understood why there is this eagerness to squeeze more people into a property than it will really comfortably accommodate. Because you're really not going to make a huge amount more money when you can offer real quality and and perhaps uh, focus on a different market. But that is the topic of, of, of another another episode. So, you know, make sure you've got sufficient indoor seating so that everybody can sit down together to eat. And also think about your living room, your living seating. Can everybody sit down together and watch a movie? You know, if you've got a three-seat couch and that's it, but your property sleeps six or eight, where are those other people going to sit? If they're going to sit on the floor, are you supplying some bean bags or at least something for them to have some comfort on the floor? It becomes a little utilitarian when you've just got one sofa and a TV and somehow eight people have got to find somewhere comfortable to sit. This also goes for outdoor seating as well, outdoor dining. And once again, we'll often see a patio table with four chairs or a patio table with six chairs and the place accommodates eight to 10 people. Exactly the same as indoors. Now, what you will find is that if you don't provide sufficient indoor and outdoor seating, that they will move the furniture in and out inside and outside so that they can all sit down together comfortably. If you don't want your furniture moved, then just supply more. You know, to me, it's, it's just as simple as that. Outdoor seating goes a little further, of course. If you're in a beach environment, then supplying folding chairs for people to take to the beach and a, and I'm not saying this is, you've got to do this. It's just, perhaps it's more doing something that is going to really, really please your guests. So if, if, if you're in a beach location and you provide a cart, you know, one of those pull along carts and three or four folding chairs and additional seating that people can take to the beach, then your guests are just going to be so happy with you. And, and isn't that what we, we always want to be doing? So please take a look at your indoor and outdoor seating and figure out whether you really do have enough to accommodate all the people that are going to come to your place. So number eight, I suppose I could have put this back in with minimum safety equipment, but this is first aid kit. You must have a first aid kit in your property and don't go cheap on this. Don't just buy the cheapest Walmart first aid kit because you've got to tick the box on a first aid kit. I would go for a St. John's ambulance kit, uh, a kit that is, is has been created specifically for a home type environment. And of course, you've got to ensure that it is checked on every changeover. I heard a great tip and I wish I could remember who told me that tip is that you can buy some of these tie wraps, the little tie wraps that will go through the zip ends on the first aid kit and just tie them together. So in order to open it, they've got to break that tie wrap. That shows you that it has been used. So on a changeover, whoever's doing the changeover, check the first aid kit. If that tie wrap is still intact, they don't have to do anything. 
if it is broken, then they need to open it up and check to see what's been taken out. Now, you can also include a little card inside the first aid kit with a pen that asks people to just note down what they've taken from it. You can't always expect that people are going to do that, but it can be very helpful. So, so that is my tip number eight is a first aid kit. If your property accepts pets, I also recommend that you should have a pet first aid kit as well. And in that pet first aid kit, and this goes for humans too, in in most areas now, include a tick removal kit. And maybe, yes, I'm going to say that I'll add that in with my first aid kit as number eight is a tick removal kit as well. Uh, You can get these online. It comes with, you know, the little gizmo that, uh, that allows the tick to be removed. I had a tick recently sharing this, sharing this one with you because it just, the moment I said tick and I thought, oh yes, I did have this, this, this experience. Um, I went, I went to my GP recently because I thought I had a little crusty mole on my shoulder and you know, you've got to get these things checked out. So I went to my GP and I said, you know, this, I've got, I've got this mole. I'm a bit worried about it. It's been, it's been a little bit like a scab and it hasn't, it won't go away. And he got his magnifying glass out and he looked at it. He said, no, it's not a mole. It's a tick. And it's like, oh my gosh, how long has that been there? Because it was, it was about, it was at least a week that I'd been feeling it and feeling this, what I thought was, was this crusty mole. Anyway, he actually had to put some local anesthetic in to, uh, to dig this thing out and gleefully told me, gleefully, my GP told me that the legs were still moving which was quite vile. Um, anyway, that aside, ticks are everywhere, absolutely everywhere, wherever you go. So having a tick removal kit is, yeah, something you should have in your vacation rental. Um, maybe there are places where there are no ticks. I don't know. It just seems like so certainly I got my tick in Alabama um, and I know we have plenty of ticks here in Ontario. So there are both ends of, of North America. So I'm sure they're in your area too. Number nine seems like a no brainer and it's wine glasses, but I'm seeing increasingly more and more properties where, and and I go into a property and I open all the cupboards and do my minimum inventory check and, and I'll open a cupboard and it's got drinking glasses and maybe some whiskey glasses and maybe some brandy glasses. And there's, okay, where do you keep your wine glasses? Oh, we don't drink wine. <laughs> so we don't have any wine glasses. So you've got to have wine glasses. You can buy boxes of them. I mean, they're, and they're really nice ones, actually, that I've been, I, I used to get from Walmart. And a box of six wine glasses was Mind you, that's a few years ago. It used to be less than $15 for a box of six. And I used to keep uh, half a dozen boxes uh, in my basement so that if any got broken, it was, it was a quick replacement. But I think it goes back to what I was saying about pillows right at the very start. Just because you don't drink wine or have two pillows doesn't mean that your guests don't want them. So really think about everything you've got in your property and make sure you're looking, well, looking at the whole property as your guests would do it, not the way you would do it. 
Yeah, you might have skipped over this one, the wine glasses one, but some people do not have wine glasses in their vacation rentals and you should. Number 10 is the best Wi-Fi you can get, period. Do not stint on the Wi-Fi. If, you, if you've got un- unlimited, well, obviously, then that's absolutely fine. But if you are paying so much for 50 gigs a month or 100 gigs a month or 150 gigs a month, I don't care what those different ones are, go for the top. Go for the most you can possibly get. Five years ago, it wouldn't have been an issue and we still had people going to properties that that didn't have unlimited internet and they didn't seem to be bothered by it. Now, you know, everybody wants unlimited internet. They're going to be streaming movies. They're going to be streaming music. They're going to be playing games. They're going to be watching YouTube. Everybody in that group is going to be on the internet and you've got to be able to support that constant usage. Now, if you do have limits, and I know in certain areas there are limits and you can't get that unlimited package, then go for the best. Go for for the best you can possibly get. But just make it very, very clear on your listing that it is limited and there may be overage charged. So just be very clear and transparent about it. But it, you know, it, it, once again, and I've said it several times during the course of this episode about cost, don't cut costs in areas where you're going to impact your guest stay. It's as simple as that. Number 11, probably could have put this in minimum safety equipment as well, is a safety card with the property address on it. Every, I don't think, I, do you know, I'm thinking about it. I, I'm not sure I've ever been to a vacation rental where I have seen the property address clearly shown within easy access in in the house, you know, maybe on on the refrigerator, on the front of a welcome book. I mean, maybe it was there and I just never had, had the need for it. But it really is important that every vacation rental home has the address of that home shown clearly in a place that is really easily accessible. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about um, safety in uh, waterfront properties in particular, because accidents often happen by the waterfront. You know, somebody will slip off a dock and hurt themselves or step on some glass in the water. Many of those things are minor and can just be you know, first aid treated. But things do happen down by the water that, that require urgent attention, which would be calling an ambulance. So just imagine you've got people down by the waterfront, a child dives off and hits their head on a rock and everybody's standing there saying, we've got to call an ambulance. What's the address? And nobody knows the address of the property. So precious minutes are going to be wasted when somebody dashes up to the house to find the welcome book, to find the address or to even go outside at the front of it to find the number. Because you never, you think, well, why, why do we need the address? Because we're already there. You only, you only need the address to find the place. But no, you need the address to tell the emergency services where to come. So super important to have that information to hand in a, a clearly located place when that information is needed. We, we did have an issue in a property last summer where a guest had a heart attack or, or was, had chest pains. 
And it was all, you know, panic. Apparently the guest told us afterwards what the ensuing panic was when somebody said, okay, what's the address? Because we need to tell the ambulance that they called 911. And of course the first thing was, well, what, what address are you at? And they didn't know what the address was. But in fact, this, uh, this property owner had it on a safety card on the fridge and they located it very, very quickly. So could possibly have saved the life of this man, having that information available. So that's a simple one, you know, just do a card with the address on it. In a similar vein, of course, the welcome book. And I know that some people still like to have the printed guide to the property, which of course would have the, it should have the address right on the front cover. But we went digital a few years ago. You know, I've talked about this multiple times. We use Touchday for our digital guide so that every member of the group has a copy. Everybody has one because when we send it out to the lead guest, they can then forward it on to every member of the group. So they all have it on their phone and really there's no excuse for somebody not having the information readily available. But if you don't want a digital book, then just make sure you do have a printed book and make sure it is a welcome guide and not a rule book. Uh, I was reading, it was on Reddit, reading um, a list of complaints from Airbnb guests. And most of them were, were just fairly, well, I thought they were fairly ridiculous complaints. But one of them was saying that the thing they hated most about going to a short-term rental was the rule books. You know, you can't do this. You can't do that. We're going to charge you if you do X and we're going to evict you if you do Z and all those rules that we know we have to convey somehow to our guests, but we can do them in such a way that is not going to make them feel that they have to be constantly on the lookout for contraventions of uh, an owner's rule book. So as I say, there's plenty of ways of doing it, getting those things like noise bylaws and pet rules across in a way that is friendly and welcoming. However, that I digress a little bit. So you must have a welcome book of some sort in your vacation rental, whether it's in a digital format. I like it when our owners print out the touch day guide, which, which you can, it's just, it just prints out as a, a beautifully presented PDF, which can then be bound and, you know, put into a nice cover. And then they do, you know, if somebody wants to sit and leaf through a welcome book, they can, but then everybody else has it on their phone. So it's, it's just an important thing. It's one of those things that's been around since the beginning of vacation rentals and hopefully always will be and having all that information. I know we're sort of moving to putting everything into the Google Home or Alexa. So all they've got to do is ask the question, hey, Alexa, you know, what time is checkout tomorrow? And they're going to get that information. Or, hey, Alexa, how does the AC work? And they'll get that information directly from, from that. Bearing in mind, of course, that if you have a power outage, there is no Google Home and there is no Alexa. So maybe... You do have to go back to the old traditional stuff, which traditional stuff might be the digital guidebook. You never know. Okay, number 13 is plenty of kitchen equipment. So I, I mentioned a kettle and a standard coffee maker earlier on, 
But making the kitchen a joy to spend time in, I think is absolutely essential. I'm hoping everybody who listens to this has been to a vacation rental at some time, been to a short-term rental at some time in their past. You know, you've, you've been and experienced what it's like. And I've done this on numerous occasions and I love cooking and I love to spend time in the kitchen. So when I walk into a, a short-term rental, one of the first places I go to is the kitchen and look in the cupboards and see what's there. And I like to see small appliances. You know, I like to see a mixer. I like to see a really good blender. I mean, gosh, give me a Vitamix. That would be, that's the real icing on the cake. But you know, a, a Nutribullet or something like that, that I can make smoothies with, that is a real bonus. But alongside that, there's the simple things like a salad bowl. The amount of times we've had to use cereal bowls to put salad in or find some decorative bowl that's around the house to put the salad in. I want something specific to put my salad in. Does that sound odd? Probably not, actually. Casserole dishes, that's something else. Baking dishes. People do cook on vacation. Do you know, I went to Alabama for the winter for five months. We went out, we ate out three times in five months because I enjoy, I always, I, I feel that I'm, I'm a good cook and I get very disappointed when I eat out because it's rare that I'll have something that I think I could have done this better myself. I'm not alone here. There are plenty of people out there who love to spend time in the kitchen, who love to cook, and particularly so on vacation because they've got more time to do it. They've got more time to source some recipes and and do something different. So I think it's really important in any short-term rental that that there is plenty of equipment to help these people to cook like they do at home. So don't nickel and dime on kitchen equipment. Make sure what you've got is good quality. It's robust. You know, I don't expect to find apple corers and pineapple corers and all those egg slicers and all those weird and wonderful little gadgets you get. I would prefer to have a really good set of utensils, for example, and some nice stainless steel pans and some bakeware. So if I wanted to make a pound cake, there's a loaf tin to do it in. If I want to make muffins, there's a muffin tray. So have a think about what you've got and make sure you have enough to please your kitchen lovers. So finally, number 14 is a vacuum cleaner. And once again, I have been to plenty of vacation rentals where there is no vacuum cleaner or the vacuum cleaner is so old and stinky that you turn it on and dust comes, more dust comes out of it than gets sucked in and it smells really, really bad. So please make sure that you have an up-to-date vacuum cleaner. I mean, some of these stick cleaners are really, really inexpensive. They're really simple. They're so easy to manage and people are far more likely to look after a home if they've got a light stick vacuum cleaner that they can easily access. But you must have a vacuum cleaner or some means of people being able to pick stuff off the, up off the floor. If they've got pets, if they've got kids, there will always be stuff going on the floor. So give them the means to pick it up. That uh, it, It's interesting as I've gone through all these things, I'm thinking, you know, really... It's not rocket science and it's also not expensive. 
I don't think there's anything I've really talked about here that's going to cost uh, a large amount, unless, of course, you know, you, you don't have enough seating. And then maybe you really have to consider what you're going to do about that. But everything else is not expensive. And the payback is huge because you will get uh, what I got with all my properties once I got them all set up exactly as they should be. Then we only ever got a five-star review. There was no issues. There were no problems. Nobody called us saying something was missing. It was all plain sailing. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, that everything is always going to be plain sailing. But if you at least go through this list of 14 things you must have in your short-term rental and you tick every box, you are well on your way to having that perfectly presented property. Hey, that's it. After I did the 14 things you shouldn't have, and I thought, I've got to do, you know, that was quite negative. I've got to do the positive side. But it was interesting that it didn't take me very long at all to compile this list because I just had to look back on a couple of the reports I'd done to some of the owners I'd been out to see recently and just pull out the things I was telling them to put in there. You know, as a property manager, we want to make sure that we have every property has everything in place because if it does, we are reducing the risk of people reporting issues when they get to a property. And you don't want that call just after they arrive to say, hey, I've, I've looked around and I can't find a kettle or I can't find, there's no vacuum. And, and I need to be able to clear stuff off, up, up off the floor. Uh, there's no wine glasses. You don't want those things when it's so easy to put everything in place and make sure you're offering them a completely comprehensively furnished and equipped property. Okay, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. I hope you found that useful. If I was ever to to start up another vacation rental, which I'm very unlikely to be doing in in my future, then this would probably be a list that I would refer to. So, I hope that you find that helpful. I'll put them I'll put this full list in the show notes so you can refer back to it uh, if necessary. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I quite like doing these list ones. You've you got to let me know if you, if you like them because I, I, I could come up with a list of lists that I could share with you. And of course, if you've got anything else that you feel that you'd like to share that, would, that is another must to go into a vacation rental, then I'd be more than happy to hear about it. If I can collect another 14, I'll do another episode and I will credit every single suggestion I get. So thank you for listening. Always an absolute pleasure to be with you. And uh, you won't be hearing from me solo for for the next few weeks. I've got a few interviews um, that I have done or I'm in the process of doing. So you'll be hearing me talking to other people after this. And I think you'll enjoy those as well. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.